So uh, let's pray as we open the word. Father, we come to you to hear your word, to not go beyond it, but to submit to it. That we, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would be here now to enact your word, to make your word alive in our hearts and in our lives through Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, also, I apologize for not getting an outline in the, uh, the bulletins this morning for our, for our marriage series. We're in the thick of new baby and lack of sleep and managing our household time, and I did not get to an, an outline. So, that you, so you guys will just have to read the Bible verses ahead of time or as we go up on the screen and, and take your own notes. And so also, we don't normally do the marriage series, we're not going through the marriage series at the 10.30, so I am, I assume, because um, I'm a gracious guy, I'm a generous guy, that everybody is listening to it later or, or apprehending the material uh, on the podcast or on the website, but that's probably not the case. And so if you're just getting into it now, I'm going to have to do a little, a little uh, backtracking because anytime you jump into, this is about like 10, 10 sermons in, 10 to 12 in. And so we're jumping into what are the responsibilities of the wife. And we've talked about the foundations of marriage being a picture of the gospel and that it's a covenant, it's my life for yours. And, and what I want to point out is and remind everybody that being always precedes doing. If you jump to doing, if you jump to a list of rules of what you ought to do and what you ought not to do, you're probably going to fall into condemnation and you're going to find it crushing. That's what the law is. If you take the law apart from becoming a new creation in Christ, it is condemnation. Right? We've been talking about that in our grace series where the law doesn't change, but your heart does and your yourself changes in Christ and your perception of the law changes. It goes from being condemning to, as, as David says in one of the Psalms, that I love the law. The law is awesome. I meditate on it day and night. And uh, usually if it's condemning, I don't really meditate on things that are condemning day and night. I'm like, man, I really should add more weight to myself. And so being always precedes doing. And so just as we looked at what the husbands are called to do, if you look at a list of the things that you have to just simply attain to, if you look at it like that, you're going to get burnt out very soon. Or at the very least, you're going to look at it legalistically. If you look at it from the husband's perspective or the, or the wife's perspective, if you look at the list of what they're responsible for, you'll, um, you'll come to it legalistically if you, if you handle it as a list of do's and don'ts. And so... For husbands and wives, before you can really do what the scripture calls you to do, you have to be who the scripture calls you to be. And so this goes for, we often in, in a Christian culture, we think, you know, when we're evangelizing or when we're discipling and we're, uh, and we're maybe taking somebody and we, we show them the law, we're evangelizing to them and they can't do it until they become a new creation in Christ. But then once they say a sinner's prayer and they, they get on board and they've been coming to church for two weeks and we expect them, then we show them the list of what husbands ought to do and then we say, why can't you do that? <laughs> well, it's probably because you probably need to submit some things to Christ. He hasn't con been fully converted. Uh, your life hasn't fully been converted to Christ. And so it goes also not just in the law and the Ten Commandments and in the moral law, 
of you have to become a new creation in Christ before you can do it. It goes the same thing for the, the do's and don'ts for husbands and wives. You have to become a new creation in Christ before you could actually fulfill what the scriptures say. And so uh, if you're coming into this series midway at this point, we're not giving a list of do's and don'ts. We are talking about the responsibilities of, of the wife. But primarily marriage is a picture of the gospel. It's it's a picture of God's election of his people and his covenant faithfulness. It's a relationship between Christ and the church. And so how you live in your marriage says something about God. It says something about his covenant. It says something about the gospel. And so in, a, in our Christian context, in our Christian community, you don't get an option to, to be married and not say something. You can't just say, well, we're not going to think about that or we're not we're not trying to say something so we're not saying something there's no neutrality christ didn't say that the husband uh, is the head of the wife as christ is is the church if he wants to be or he exemplifies that if he wants to make that a point but if he decides to take a different route he can he doesn't give that option he says that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is of the church. And so how he lives in his marriage is an example, and he's either saying something truthful or he's making, uh, or he's being a dishonest witness about Christ. And so how you treat your wife, if you treat her harshly, you're saying that Christ is harsh with his people, right? If you withhold love from your wife uh, until she gets her act together, until she does something, right, or whatever list of uh, rules you might have, you're saying that Christ withholds his love until, you, until, he, until you're obedient. And, that's a, and you're making Christ a liar. And so in the same way, last week, as we talked about wives being primarily uh, the role of the wife as a helpmeet, and that is a demeanor of respect and submission, that it means if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to help your husband, if you don't want to generally have a demeanor of respect and submission, then you're saying that the church generally doesn't have to submit to Christ, and you can be autonomous, and you get to choose your mission and your will, and you get to do whatever you want, just because Christ doesn't. I don't, like, I don't like what Christ wants me to do. I'll do something else, right? You don't get the option of what you're portraying. You get the option of portraying it truthfully or making... Christ a liar. And so the responsibilities of the husband were to protect, provide, and nourish. And that means that he generally takes on all of the, he takes on the responsibility of the household. He takes on, uh, and, and we discussed that if the wife sins, she's culpable, she's guilty, he's not guilty, but he's responsible. Right? And so um, and especially when we get into the responsibilities of the wife and going and belaboring and how serious that is for the husband to be head of household, to take responsibility, to protect, to provide, to nourish, to lead, to wash her in the, in the word. You might think like, okay, that's a lot of responsibility. It is. What's left for the wife? She gets to sit at home and eat Cheetos and watch soap operas. <laughs> Not really, Right? But if, you, if you're kind of following what I was saying is we're just looking at about like 10 Bible verses for the entire series about what it plainly gives instruction to husbands and wives or in, in marriage. And we did really handle last week with the role of the wife, we did handle almost all of the uh, verses about the wife. And so you're like, what's left? Well, uh, I've, 
I, I believe, and I think we're going to see that scripture points out, there's three main responsibilities for the wife. That is, one, to be industrious or to be productive. Two, to be really into their husband and kids. And three, to manage their household generally. And so, again, there's no Bible verse that says, like, the wife has to do the dishes. I've been looking for it. I'm going to read it again. Go, I'm going to go through the whole Bible this year. I'm going to Google search it and try to figure out where it is. I'll call you guys. I'll call all the men, uh, all the husbands, when I find it. But <clears throat> Sure. And so when we want to divide up, we think about, when we think about responsibilities of like, we do in our household, we divide up, uh, I do the majority of the dishes and my wife, because my wife does the, and there are certain household responsibilities that just on a day-to-day basis have to get taken care of or else you, you have a filthy house or you, or you just eat off of paper plates or something. And, and so there are certain household things that have to get done that you guys can, that's up for uh, debate or discussion or regulation in your household. But, but when we're talking about responsibilities in marriage or for the household, the Bible doesn't give that specific instruction because you have to go work that out. You have to figure it out. And then, but as a husband, you do have to do that and not be harsh with your wife. You still have to live with her in an understanding way. Wives still have to submit to their husbands, right, and be respectful. And so the Bible doesn't give minute details on what every household has to look like because that's something for you guys to work out. The Bible's already pretty thick. It would be a lot thicker if, uh, if it did. And so we're going to talk about the responsibilities uh, for the wife in marriage, um, being industrious or being productive, being really into their husbands or being focused on their husband and kids and managing their household. And so with, with industry, um, remember when we talked about the, the responsibility for the husband is to provide, I believe that's to provide in, in every area and you should re- relieve that burden from your wife monetarily. Um, and so it doesn't mean that it's a sin for the wife to work or to provide or to make income, but it could be sinful. I always like things in scripture where it's like uh, sin is like an equal opportunity employer. employer. It gives opportunity in every area of your life to where something isn't necessarily sinful, but it could be. It'll come get you. It's crouching around the corner. And so the Bible never puts out that the wife cannot work or that women can't work or make money or be productive or provide for their families. Uh, Some men abdicate their responsibility and, and the wife is just trying her best to make up what is lacking. But a wife could go to work and it be sinful. She could be going to work to compete with her husband. She could be going to work to escape her children. <laughs> Depends on uh, the first couple years of their life, how you raised them, whether you want to escape or not. But So it's not sinful one way or the other, and the Bible doesn't give, give uh, uh, saying that, you know, it's, it's exactly sinful in this context, but but, the, but I, what I do want to point out is that the predominant consuming view in our culture is fixated on bringing women and comparing them to men's standards. And so feminism uh, has done more to destroy women in our culture. Uh, at least the, we're, on, we're going into what they call the fourth wave of feminism. And ever since the second wave in which I... Uh, you can ask someone who's better at history, which I think was, would have been around the 50s, 
uh, would have been around the second wave, has been more to destroy womanhood and, and feminism uh, or, or uh, women in general in our culture than, than anything else. And so uh, when you take a woman and, and, and you try to lift her up to men's standards, remember we talked about, when I think it was like the second uh, sermon we did, men and women are different. That's a basic concept that we should all have, but we often forget it and then start saying, and then I get frustrated with my wife because she's not doing something that I'm supposed to do because it's for me, but I, I, I project that on her. And so we, our culture does that very blatantly nowadays, and that means that we all have been raised in a culture of feminine and egalitarianism that in a lot of areas is just anti-biblical. And so that's any time you take a woman and compare her and try to uh, lift her up to a, a men's standards, that's not, not going to work. But in Scripture, we very rarely get a picture of an excellent, insert the blank, an excellent, uh, we don't, well, we do get a little picture of an excellent husband, but uh, an excellent worker or an excellent manager. But we do have a picture of an excellent wife in chapter format. Obviously, we all know that that comes in Proverbs 31, right? So maybe last week you guys were like, when are we going to get to Proverbs 31? He didn't even, even mention it. And so, so although, uh, so Proverbs 31 does give us a picture of an excellent wife. And so although scripture is Christocentric, meaning all of scripture applies to Christ, uh, Proverbs 31, I think, is primarily in a picture of the church and his and their relationship to Christ, but it's simultaneously a picture of an excellent wife. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And the overarching theme in, in Proverbs 31 is that she's not lazy. And so wives, go and figure out what that means in your households and, and what that means. And so if you turn to Proverbs 31, we'll just read some of the things that she does that is productive. And again, Scripture doesn't put forth um, specific methods that have to be prescribed, but general principles. And so when we look at Proverbs 31, and just to read off some of the things she does is, uh, she seeks wool and flax, she works with her hands willingly, uh, she considers the ships and merchants, she brings her food from afar, she rises while it's still night. She doesn't let her uh, uh, lamp go out. She considers a field and buys it. That doesn't mean you have to, wives need to go and buy a field. Some of you might, but it doesn't mean you have to go buy a field. Um, she plants a vineyard. You don't have to plant a vineyard, but that'd be cool if you did. If I could reap the produce. She dresses herself with strength. Um, she, per she perceives that merchandise is profitable. Right? She's obviously making income. She's obviously a businesswoman. She's providing for her household in a lot of ways. She's not just pushed into a corner, asked to, to take care of the kids and make the food and, and do the laundry and, and that kind of thing. Uh, she is very productive. She makes linen garments and sells them. You don't have to make clothes. You could. You're not a bad wife if you don't make clothes. These are general principles that she's providing uh, for her household. And um, I'm trying to find the verse, but it talks about she does not eat the bread. Uh, verse 27, she does not eat the bread of idleness, right? So the predominant 
picture of an excellent wife is one who's just industrious. She's productive. She's working for her household. She's providing in various means. And so um, when you look at your household, when you, and that, that doesn't mean that a wife can't work. It doesn't mean that she has to stay home. It doesn't mean, it doesn't go one way or the other. Um, and so the, the, I think the point of Proverbs 31 is you're looking at it through the lens of the dominion mandate to be fruitful and multiply and, and have dominion. And I think wives should look at what they get, uh, what they have in their household, where they could be faithful is in the same way in, in Luke 19 and in various other uh, Proverbs from, from our Lord where he gives a servant 10 minas or 10 talents and he produces 10 more and gives 20 back to the Lord, gives them back to the master and the one that has five produces five more so he gives 10 back to his Lord and the one who produces or has one doesn't produce any because he's afraid. And so the, what I see in Proverbs 31 is that she's being productive, she's being faithful with what she has and she's making a return on and, and being faithful. And so where God has you called to do, wives, is to be faithful. What do you have? Uh, and how do you be faithful with that? It doesn't mean you can't look at the list of the husband's responsibilities and be like, yes, sweatpants and soap operas all day. Uh, it means fruitful labor for you. And I think what I want to give um, as, we, as we talk about the next point of, is that it actually opens up an opportunity for the women in the church to do a lot more ministry than the men. And so if you're faithful in your household and you might have extra time or resources on your hand that you can serve and be faithful in the church community, and if you've done that and you've been faithful in that, and then you can uh, kind of go out to your household, the church, and then out to the, to, to the world to do ministry. And so another point on just on being industrious and being productive, it doesn't mean that, uh, that, it's gen- that it's just about money. It's not about that she does in Proverbs 31, she does make money. She's a businesswoman. She plants a field. It doesn't say she sells the wine, but if, if you've got more than uh, you can drink, then you're either going to sell it or share it um, or hoard it. You could hoard it. Um, but she's being productive. She's producing something. All right, she produces clothes, food, uh, field. She, she has, uh, she's generally trading with, with merchandise. And she's generous. She gives it away, right? But, but one of the things that might go, well, it might not, but just to point it out, is that she produces praise for herself. It, in all that list of production, it kind of ends and culminates with her husband and her children rise up and call her blessed. They praise her. And so she's not just producing to produce income, produce uh, things for the household to provide clothes and, and food and whatnot, but that culminates in what that ends up producing is lifting her up. Her husband and her children praise her for that, as it ought to be. And so husbands, make sure your kids uh, say thank you. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so on to the, to the next point, that... Uh, the responsibility of the wife is to be into her husband and kids. She should be really into them. Let's look at Titus 2, 3 through 5. It says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, 
to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And so literally it says, train them to love their husbands and children or to just be really into them, right? And so again, it doesn't say that women can't work. It says that they should work in their home or they should be focused on their home, but it doesn't say that they have to be a homemaker and they have to get all the laundry done and they have to do the dishes and they have to do all these things that we might think of in, in kind of traditionalist homes. But uh, women have the option to work. That's something you decide in your own family. And, but their orientation should still be towards their husband and children. And so when it says working at home, it doesn't mean that every wife is, is a homemaker, uh, although every wife uh, really does set the tone for their home and, and make a home. Um, the term homemaker is kind of a misnomer. Uh, if anybody, and you all the wives who do stay at home, you realize that you, you don't stay at home a lot. You got a lot. You're doing a lot of stuff. You're usually trucking kids around to various things, and, and you spend a lot of time outside of the home as a, as a homemaker. And so, again, it doesn't say we, the Bible doesn't put forth that a woman's place is in her home, but that her priority is towards her home. And that's actually no different from husbands. It's, it's just that a husband's priority should be in his home. We don't say that a woman's priority should be towards her, her uh, husband and kids, but a, but a husband can have various priorities that go above his wife and kids. It's just that vocationally in their callings, men's callings usually take them outside of the house to produce income or, or even in an agrarian culture, you might homestead there, but you're out in a field working all day. And so men's priorities are also in the home, right? We don't say that that's just for women. It's just that men's vocations usually call them outside of the home and women's vocations usually call them inside of the home. And so, uh, again, it doesn't necessitate whether women work or not, but that they're productive. But our culture generally despises housewives, homemakers, women who do want to, to stay at home and, and raise kids um, in, a, in a general sense. And so I offer up to you uh, a quote from C.S. Lewis that says, the homemaker has the ultimate career. All other careers exist for one purpose only, and that is to support the ultimate career. And so women who do chose, choose to, to stay home and, and, and provide for their family and kids by, uh, inside the house, the men are working so that they can do that, right? Um, and I think it's a, it's a noble calling. It's not obviously for everybody, for every household. That's something that you decide in, in your household. But, um, but in those cases, you really do have to look at it as the husband is providing so that the wife can, can do her calling. And, and so back to Titus 2, it when, you, when it says that the older women are to train the, the younger women uh, to, be, to love their husbands and children, this assumes that the older women have some type of experience, some type of wisdom, some, something to give. Uh, it's not just based on age that, yeah, just because they're old, older, um, that they have something to give. Usually, it, in most cases, it does because time gives experience. 
but it assumes that older women are discipling and training the younger women in a church community towards these ends. And so, and Paul doesn't say that, and Paul doesn't give a lot of direction in, in scripture um, in, in methods. What he gives is our general principles. He says, just train them to love their husbands and wives. And so the older women who have experience and wisdom just have that general orientation to direct the younger women into. And so um, I would kind of have everybody kind of consider that we're a church that's mainly in our 20s and 30s. And so the majority of the older women are like 33, 34, <laughs> in, in that range. And it doesn't mean that we can't do this or we, or we don't have that. Uh, we do have uh, older moms and wives to, to pull from. But what I would consider, or, or especially calls the younger women to consider, is look at that as one day I will be an older woman. I know you don't think it's coming. I know that's not what you want to think about. But you will be. If you live long enough, you will be in, in one of the older women in Scripture who is supposed to disciple and train the younger women in this passage. And so you should be living in your marriage and handling your marriage in such a way that you have something to give to the younger women in 20 years, in 30 years, in however long it takes. And if I could just maybe sidestep and, and uh, talk about maybe what a, a biblical vision or, or um, if you follow these principles in Scripture for the foundation of marriage and what's the role and responsibility of the husband and, and wife, generally, it really does give more opportunity for the women in the church to do more ministry than the men, generally. And so if a man goes to work from 9 to 5, and then he comes home and he's got to uh, lead family worship and, and help his wife out at home and help the kids, and his day is pretty much shot for the majority of his life. And uh, the way I describe it to single men is, you know, who haven't gotten married or maybe they're pursuing marriage is when you're single, you have a lot less responsibilities and you have a lot more time to read scripture, to get vocationally secure, to seek the Lord to do whatever. You have a lot more time when you get married and then it's just you and your wife for a couple years or a few years or however long God gives you that providence. It's You have a little bit less time because your wife wants to spend time with you and, uh, and you should spend time with her and you should be washing her in the word and you should be ordering your household together and you have less time. You still have a little bit more time. And then once you have kids, you have no time. You absolutely have no time. And for like 20 years, <laughs> you have very little time. Uh, because if, you, if you're following these biblical principles, when we, when we get to uh, child rearing, it takes a lot of time. And you might be able to uh, do something like once a week or on a Saturday or do something as a household. That doesn't mean you can't minister. That doesn't mean you can't have service. That doesn't mean, it just means you have a lot less time once you start uh, having kids and, and running a household. And so for women, if you follow these biblical principles and they decide to uh, not have a nine-to-five career, that offers opportunities for them to, once they've handled their household well, once they're faithful and little, they are able to go on and, and do what the scriptures say here, is to go and minister to other women in other areas in the church. 
And I think the Lord puts that in there. And we often, because what we do in our, in our modern evangelical culture is we think of ministry and we think of it in a man's way predominantly. And then we say, women, go and do that. Go and do it. Go and do it like a man. And but then without ever examining the scriptures. And, and so, you know, there are, there's the providence of God where, um, you know, particularly, you know, if we had gotten or if we get women in the church who are single mothers who have to provide for their kids and they don't have an option to stay at home, who ministers, how, what's their option to help their kids if they're not school aged and they're not going to school is, well, they can get a babysitter or they can send them to daycare and someone else can raise their kids. And, but then they have to produce more money, so they have to work two jobs and then so they can spend less time with their kid. There's no, um, that's just a particular situation of how we can minister to people and it offers that when women are freed up in the home, once they've done a faithful job to do more ministry on a, just a simple time scale than men and they can minister in, in a lot of ways. And that means that they have uh, options to build schools, do mercy ministries, serve in, in various ways. And they have freedom to go as the Lord has, has directed them and as, as they work in their families and as they raise their kids. And, and if it offers more time, if they've been faithful, they can go. And I really think that it offers them more time to do ministry. And I think that's the way the Lord designed it. And partially uh, because... Like when I minister and meet to men, it's like, hey, I could, I might, I might meet with you for two hours, but I think I can whittle it down to 15 minutes. I really think it's like, hey, stop being a butthead. This is what the Bible says. Go and do it. If you don't want to do that, you're a jerk, and you should submit to the Lord, and see you later. See you next week. Have fun. Love you. I'll pray for you. Men usually take a, a direction like that in less time, and so... <laughs> Or they're, they, uh, you can't say that, you don't say that to your wife. Uh, hey, this is wrong, do it better, this is what the Bible says. See you tonight. It's not saying anything bad about women, women are much more relational, so their ministry looks different, and so sometimes it takes, it takes more time and it's more relational. And so, um, and so, you know, if, if you get to a point, if, if the wife uh, stays home and, or she doesn't have a nine-to-five career or, you know, something like that, and it offers her opportunity when her kids are school-aged, if you guys want to send them to a Christian school, whatever, and it gives her the opportunity to volunteer at the Crisis Pregnancy Center at, at ours is called Hope Rising. Uh, she has the opportunity to help out single moms. She has the opportunity to do as the Lord has directed her and then as she sees fit, and it just offers them more time. And so I'm not trying to project that vision onto your household, but it might be something to consider. And so the third part, or the third responsibility of the wife in Scripture is to manage her household. And so 1 Timothy 4.15, in context this is talking about uh, women who are widows. And so verse 14 says, So I would have younger widows marry bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. And so, wait a minute. I thought we said that the man was the head of the household. He's responsible. He's in charge. He wears the pants. Well, uh, what does it mean to manage? Now she's managing the household. Uh, so this doesn't contradict as that the husband is the head of the house. 
What it does do is emphasize her responsibility and actually gives, as a man delegates responsibility, he should give authority to his wife, and that would, as he gives, he would get back more. And so uh, the Bible doesn't, again, we don't look and like, well, it says managing households, and then you flip back to the Bible, and you have a definition and examples of what that says. It doesn't do that. It says manage your household, and uh, you could look at the Greek or whatever, and figure out what uh, the etymology is. And, and I offer up to you that the King James, pretty much the NASB, the uh, ESV, the New King James, all say manage their household, but the King James says guide the house. And so doesn't that seem a little contradictory to what we said previously about the husband being the leader to having a vision for the household? Doesn't that seem a little contradictory? Well, uh, no. Um, first thing I want to point out that this does give the woman power in the home to set standards and rules. So if your wife says take off, you need to take off your shoes when you come in, you take off your shoes when you come in. Uh, or to set other household guidelines. It gives the woman power and authority in the house to, to manage, because to, she's the one, she's the one there from day to day. Uh, she's the one that's supposed to be really into her husband and, and kids. And if she doesn't have authority to manage and to direct in some ways, and just has a responsibility, that's going to become really tyrannical very fast. And so what I think this means is that they should be over the affairs of the household. Uh, that might mean keeping the calendar, keeping budgets. And, and so you guys, it's, it's one of the things, things where you go home, you're supposed to discuss it. You're supposed to figure it out how that works in your household. And so, but it does say, and it directs the women to be managers of their household. I think they can set standards, set rules. Uh, in our household, it means that Noelle is in charge of the calendar. She does the budget, which if I was in charge of the budget, we'd all be in danger. Uh, right? It gives, them, it gives them the freedom and authority to, to guide the household. And, and as just as a, uh, as a way of being kind of the, the manager over kind of day-to-day things. And so that's part of being productive and industrious. If you don't have a, someone overseeing and guiding and uh, keeping a calendar, keeping a budget, keeping direction, uh, you know, if, you, if, you, if a man comes home from work and his wife's like, I need, this kid needs discipline, that need, kid needs change, you don't say, well, I'm sorry, I'm the head of the household. You get to do that. Right? No, she's coming home and she's directing you. She's like, this kid needs strength. This kid needs a diaper change. This kid. And then we need to do something about dinner. Uh, it's part of being a productive, industrious household. Uh, and it's part of, of uh, having productive labor. Right? As you need someone to kind of oversee and, and manage and keep calendars, keep budgets, keep practical things. And... Uh, and you guys can go home and discuss what that looks like. There might be areas that, based on your giftingness, that one, the wife does, or the husband does, just based on your, your giftingness and your, and your willingness to. And uh, doesn't mean you can go home. I, I really don't think my particular gifting and calling is the dishes. I, and that, it does. It does. It does come up a lot. And you can't go home and say, well, I'm not... And, well, what if her gifting and calling is in the dish as well? Someone's got to do it, right? And so those are things that you guys need to go home and, and work out. You have to work that out in your marriage. And so um, as we come to the, the table today, 
Well, for that, just to kind of recap that, the, the responsibilities of wives are to be industrious, to be really into their husband and kids, and, and to be a household manager, to guide their house. And so as we come to the table this morning, uh, Christ is inviting us to faithfulness that leads to fruitfulness. Remember when we looked at the a picture of marriage is the wife is a picture of the church. And so we are called to fruitfulness. We're called to productive labor. And in the same way that wives are called to be industrious and manage their households, Christ has called us in Luke 19 to occupy, to engage in business until he returns. And he doesn't send us out without any resources, without any direction, and without any help. When we're called to the table, he's inviting us to partake in him that in which we could be, be fruitful. In, the, in, in Luke 19, when he gives them the ten minas, it's, the parable doesn't go that the, the Lord is leaving, the master is leaving, and he says, do something productive and figure it out, and I won't give you anything. He gives everything that the servants needed. He gives them ten minas. He gives them in charge of the land. He gives them, he gives them everything to be fruitful. And what we're partaking in in communion this morning is an invitation to dine with Christ and be fruitful because we're dining with him. We're partaking in him. Fruitfulness isn't looking at a list of sets of rules of do's and don'ts and then trying really, really hard to do the do's and trying really hard to do the do-nots. It's an, it's an invitation to partake in Christ. And when we're invited to the table, it's a, it's a work that's already accomplished. It's already finished. We don't come to the table so that uh, we receive grace and by these, in, in this particular sense, that we can just get enough grace to get us at least to like Monday or Tuesday or hopefully Thursday, but probably not Friday because that's when we go out. And, and then come back on Sunday and just get our fill of grace and, and come back. He's partaking us. He's asking us to partake in him because it already he's already given us grace. He's already invited us to the table. He's already given himself. He's already given us everything to be fruitful. And so we don't come and, and take the elements and partake in, in the body of Christ in order to just hopefully, like, this will give us, give us grace. These are examples of of grace. He's already invited us. We're coming in and, and just sitting at the table, which he's already prepared. We don't have to, we don't have to uh, work in that sense. And so this morning, Christ has invited his church to be fruitful. He's given himself. He's given everything you need to be productive, to be fruitful, to, uh, uh, to go out there and accomplish what the Lord has called us to do. So come, let's dine with Christ.